In light of the sun setting on 2021 and uh, the sun kind of breaking the horizon on 2022, isn't that crazy? 2021 just flew by. Like, that was insane. I really, I was talking with Caitlin and some of the team, and they were like, oh, I remember I was, I, I'm like the crazy uncle that shows up every couple years, and I'm just like loud and crazy, and then I just disappear. And uh, so it was like over two years ago I got to preach here when we were in the upper room area. And, man, it's just awesome to see, like, this church is growing and making an impact. And I've been following you guys on Instagram and social media, and it's just cool to see what God's doing. But I know he has more in store for 2022. And so I have a message today called, I Declare War. Somebody say, I Declare War. Because I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christ follower, if you said yes to Jesus, it's not so much like a consumeristic mindset of church, but more of like when you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says we go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We literally enter the kingdom of God with a king, and we kind of enlist in the army of God. And if you don't think you're at war, you're probably already losing the battle. You know what I mean? But some of you, when I said I say I declare war, you're like, oh, yeah, every day. Feels like a battle. Feels like a war, especially these last two years, right? And so what I want to kind of do is set us up for a way to fight the battles that God has in store for us to win in 2022 by looking at a passage of Scripture that's one of my favorite passages that teaches us how to fight God's way and how to go about the war that we are in, the spiritual warfare we're in, in God's way. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter what? Nice! I like it. We're awake. I like response in preaching. Um, Nathan is much holier than me. He's like straightforward. He just delivers the word. I'm insecure, so I need you to respond when I'm preaching. But at the least, it, it wakes your neighbor up. So if I say anything you like or mildly agree with, I need you to give me a good old Christianese amen if you grew up in church. If you don't speak Christianese, you can say what the world says, any affirmation like right on, that's what's up. If it's real good, you can give me a mmm, like, but just throughout the message, I need that to know you're awake. But in, in, sorry, in 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to give you a little bit of context here because this really has to do with the warfare we find ourselves in. The Apostle Paul says it like this in the New Testament. He says, we do not wage war, we being Christ followers. So if you're not, if you're here just kind of checking this out, you came because you thought she was cute, I, I support that. Like, flirt to convert, do what you got to do, like, get them in church. But, um... But if you are a Christ follower, when Paul says we, he's talking about every single one of us that have given our lives to Jesus, that, that didn't just pray a prayer and get a get out of hell free card, but we knew salvation was more than a prayer. We knew that Jesus' message was say yes to me, come spiritually alive, enlist in the kingdom of God, and follow me. And so Paul looks at all of us today through the barrel of antiquity and says we do not wage war against flesh and blood. So let me start off by just saying that like a person is never our enemy. That's good news, right? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. Some of you married couples today, that's all you needed. You can leave now, right? You're like, that's my word. We were arguing on the way here. You're a person is never your enemy. He says, we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but rather against spiritual things. There is a spiritual realm. Like, this is something, I'm just going to like kind of go off the cuff today. I hope y'all don't mind. Caitlin said I have a good two, three hours to preach, so we'll do this. The Bible teaches us that to God and Jesus, the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. And I think that sounds like spooky and like new age, you know, like, ooh, what is he talking about here? And we're going to dig into it a second. But what Paul says is there is a spiritual realm that we fight against and a person is never our enemy. We have three enemies according to scripture. So have you no mind, like we do fight. 
We get to sign up and we put on that armor of God and we get the sword of the word. And man, we fight day in and day out, but we don't fight people. First and foremost, our, our main enemies are our flesh, right? Y'all know, left to our own vices, we make some dumb decisions. If you've ever made a dumb decision, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying in church. It's a dumb decision. But isn't that nice, like when we can all just admit we're all really messed up, jacked up, shacked up, or locked up in some way, shape, or form? Like, it's just good to go, oof, nobody's got it together. Can I just, like Nathan's not here, I'll just speak on behalf of him if that's okay, Caitlin. Like, anybody holding a mic on a platform has it no more together than anybody sitting in a seat. Can I just say that? Like, oh, that, ooh, uh, we'll see if we have time for that. That's a whole nother point. But, but we're all, like, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and so we're all constantly battling our flesh and our sinful nature because left to our own vices, we will make dumb decisions. We've all made those dumb decisions. The second thing we fight, our second enemy, are the patterns of this world. The world and its patterns because of sin will gradually pull away from the kingdom of God. And it doesn't take much awareness to see that. Just turn on the television for like 10 minutes and you'll be like, oh my gosh, this world's so messed up. Dear God, help us, right? Because the patterns of the world will naturally pull us away from what's good. So we have our flesh, the patterns of this world, and then there's that old school enemy that, you know, I, I grew up in a good old Southern Baptist church where we always talk about the devil, right? Like, but the devil's real, and his minions are real, and we battle against them. But those are our three primary enemies. So if you're ever at odds with a person, know this. They are not your enemy. It's the sin within them that is your enemy. And we fight against the sin within them. We fight against our own flesh. We fight against the, fight against the devil and, our, and his minions with many different weapons that the word gives us and that God gives us. But one of the main weapons is what we just did, and that is worship. One of the main weapons of our spiritual warfare God gives us is worship. And I could literally just, I mean, Nathan, I know, has preached on worship. We love worship here at Upper Room Church. But this is why we worship. When we gather together and we sing songs we are literally reaching up to heaven and pulling heaven down onto earth. Because I don't know if you know this, like we just got done with Christmas. Every time the angels showed up, like when the angels showed up to the shepherds, what were they doing? They were singing and worshiping. They were showing the shepherds a glimpse of what is happening in heaven. Because when we worship the King of Kings and we speak out that truth, whether we feel it or not, God does something in the atmosphere and in the spiritual realm, and he ministers to our souls in a way, and he strengthens us in a way. Worship is a weapon. Like, I just love studying worship in the Bible. Like, one of my favorite stories, um, the Apostle John, a follower of Jesus, when he was like Grandpa John, late in life, God gave him a vision of heaven. And John got, it's called Revelation. It's not revelations, it's revelation, just for anybody, sorry, that's, everybody's like, let's read revelations. It was one revelation. Anyhow, he, he sees heaven, and when he sees heaven, he sees Jesus seated on his throne, and it says the angels are surrounding Jesus, and multitudes, multitudes, just like the shepherds when they saw Jesus, or saw the angels, means more than you could count. So it's like thousands upon thousands. And it says they're loudly singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to, to men. Like they're loudly singing and praising God. And then the Apostle John says he sees flashes like lightning and he sees emerald and jasper. And then he hears rolls of thunder. Now I want you to know this. This is a first century dude trying to explain things he cannot comprehend. So when I hear flashes of lightning, I'm like, that sounds like strobe lights. And when he says emerald and jasper, I'm like, that sounds like a lot of moving lights in production, right? And when he says it sounds like rolls of thunder, you know what that means? There's bass in heaven. Come on, there's bass. Anybody like bass? So, so in other words, worship in heaven is really loud and like really awe-inspiring and really colorful. 
So if you don't like loud worship, you may not like heaven. <laughs> Just throwing out now, here's worship can be quiet. Worship can be introspective. That's okay. There's time for that. But the worship in front of the throne room is one of loud and passionate followers of Jesus because they know who he is. He is that way maker. And if he's made a way for you in your life, you can't help but sing that with some passion because you know what it's like when you don't have a way. And so we're going to finish this time out with some worship. But I just want to look at what that spiritual warfare really looks like and what it looks like for God to open our eyes to what he's doing around us. And so 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, it kind of breaks down one of my favorite songs that we're singing. Last thing I'll say before we dig in here. Y'all are like, this is the long intro. Don't worry. Like, y'all know we sing some crazy things in church? You know what I'm talking about? Like, back in the day, like, I, I got to lead worship at this church, like, almost like 18 years ago. I was doing the math. That makes me feel so old. Um, but, like, back then, there was this really popular song called Amazing Love. Y'all remember that song? May I'm, I'm not a singer. You want to? Um, amazing love how can it be and the last line of that song was this in all I do I honor you and I always used to think that's not true it bugged the mess out of me I was like why am I singing lies because in all I do I do not honor Jesus do you know what I thought last night do you know what I did a year ago like no that's not true and so I just stopped singing it I was like, I don't want to lie to God. And then one of my mentors, who was a worship leader down in Gainesville, Florida, saw I would sing the whole song passionately, and we'd get to that part, and I would just stop singing. And he came over to me, he's like, bro, what's up with that? He's like, why aren't you singing that out? And I said, because it's a lie. I don't want to lie to God. And he goes, of course it's a lie, but you're not singing it because it's true about you. You're singing it because you want it to be true about you. You are calling yourself up to where Jesus and God calls you. So you're saying, I'm speaking truth over myself that I want to be true. And it changed my mindset of worship. Worship isn't just about what's true for me now. It's what I want to be true about me and what is true about him. So I just started to sing everything out. But we sing some crazy stuff. Like, you know that song, Oceans? Who likes that song, Oceans? All the ladies, Oceans, right? I love that song. But that's it. Like, the funny thing about oceans, like, spirit lead me where my trust is without, without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. We sing that passionately, crying. Ah. And then, like, we go to work on Monday and Tuesday, and it's, like, the hardest week ever. And we come back to church, and we're like, why is life so hard, God? Do you understand what you were just praying in that song? Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. In other words, put me in places where I cannot survive without trusting in you. Let me walk upon waters. How do you walk upon the water? By keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. In other words, you will drown if you do not focus on Jesus. So we're literally praying with that song. God, put me in circumstances I cannot survive without you. And then we show up to work on Monday and we're like, why is life so hard? And then we complain on Sunday and I think God's like, what do you want? I'm answering your prayers. We do, I mean, I could go song after song. Same author, New Wine, this song by Brooke Leggerhart, if y'all know that song. Beautiful song. And we sing this beautiful song, God, make new wine out of me. You know what you're singing? Crush me, God. Crush. You know how you get new wine? You get crushed. Now, these are beautiful things to sing, and God moves through them in powerful ways. But the reason worship is powerful, because it's, it is true, because we battle against spiritual forces that we get to come up against in 2022. And I have faith that this is going to be the best year ever for Upper Room Church because we are going to embrace this on a whole new level. Being aware of what God's doing around us, declaring war against our real enemies, never a person, and watching him work through our worship. So, now that the intro is out. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. All right. So he, 
sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Pause. Scripture without context is confusing, so let me give you some context. What's happening is you have the kingdom of Israel, good guys. You have the kingdom of Syria, bad guys. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Syria wants to kill the good guys. So Syria is trying to kill the king of Israel because he holds all the power. And time after time again, they come up with a plan, and they go to kill him. And he, the king of Israel, knows the plan before it happens. And he keeps thwarting their plans. So the king of Syria is like, who's the rat? Who's the mole? Who's tipping off the enemy, the kingdom of Israel, that we're coming? And they do some research, and they go, hey, king, king of Syria, there is no rat. There is no mole. There's this prophet, this man of God named Elisha, and he's in another city, and God gives him dreams. And when he has a dream about what we're going to do, he tips off the kingdom of Israel, and so they always know our plans. And so he's like, ah, I know what to do. Brilliant tactician here. He goes, let's kill the prophet. And so that's what's happening in 2 Kings right here, chapter 6. Now, Elisha is a man of God. Elisha is a prophet. But let me just stop and ask this question. Like, do we have Elishas in our lives? Do you have an Elisha in your life today? By that, I mean someone that is praying for you. And when they get a word for you, they will pick the phone up and call you and be like, don't date him. No, I'm just kidding. That was a word for somebody. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I saw somebody in the back go. That's awesome. Praise Jesus. Holy Spirit's real. Um, No. But like, do we have Elisha's? That's why we have small groups at Upper Room. That's why we get in community. That's why we serve together so that we can have relationship with people, open our lives up to them and allow them to speak into us. I love it. There's this elderly woman up in Michigan at a church I got to be the interim lead pastor of. And about every couple months, her name's Candy Gaddy. And old Candy will give me a call and she'll be like, Pastor Corey, I think God gave me a word for you. And I love the way she words it. I think God gave me a word for you. And she'll say, this is what it is. Now you take that and do with it what you will. Just because somebody says God told them doesn't mean it was God. Can I just say that? But what you do is you take what they tell you, you hold it up against God's word. And if it aligns with God's word and it aligns in your prayer life, then you may want to receive that. So do we have Elisha's in our lives? Because if God did it before, he can do it again. But let me take it a step further. Are you an Elisha for somebody? Are you an Elisha? Like, in other words, when you pray, is it all about you, your needs, and your protection? Or are you approaching the throne on behalf of other people? That's called intercession. That's where the church really gets powerful. When we're not just worshiping God together, but we're interceding on behalf of one another and praying for you. You talk about make some waves in the spiritual realm. And so that's what's transpiring here. And it says, so the king of Syria sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. We just kind of read over that casually, but that's insane. He says he sent a great army. So in other words, he's trying to kill one man, and he sends a ninja Syria assassin. No. He sends Syria SEAL Team 6. He sends a battalion. No. He sent the entire army for one man. And then it says horses and chariots. That was the highest military technology they had at that time. That meant the army was very wealthy. It would be the equivalent if the United States wanted to take out one person in another country. It would be the equivalent of us aiming all of our nukes, deploying all of our aircraft carriers, and deploying every branch of the military and surrounding that person's town. That's what's happening right here to Elisha. You know what that makes me think? Like, Elisha was a threat to the kingdom of darkness. He was a threat. But then you know what that makes me think? Am I a threat? Am I a threat to the kingdom of darkness? 
Like, by this, it, it, it kind of makes me think, like, attacks. Like, Elisha was under attack, but the attack was actually an affirmation that he was on the right team and that he was heading in the right direction. Have you ever felt under attack? Anybody? Some of you are like, right now. Yes. Like, you ever felt literally like attack? See, there's this really strange Western mindset. We think that when stuff's going wrong, something must be wrong with the world. Like, ah, I'm not making the money I'm supposed to make. Ah, I got fired from my job. Oh, they left me, or this isn't going right. And we go, oh, if, some, if I'm being attacked, then that must mean something's wrong. Could I just ascertain, could I propose the premise that maybe attacks don't mean something's wrong? Maybe attacks are affirmations that you're actually heading in the right direction and making headway against the kingdom of darkness? Like, <laughs> our forefathers in the faith, they were Jews. If there were a slavery Olympics, Jews win the gold medal. Like, they were enslaved by the Persians, the Babylonians. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were enslaved by the Romans. They were, like, like destroyed by the Nazis. I mean, this people have been through so much oppression. And what do they do? Bounce back, bounce back, bounce back. In an Eastern mindset where our faith comes from, attacks are not odd. Attacks are just normal parts of life and usually affirmations that God is moving. But here in Western society, we think when things aren't going right, God must not remember us. Maybe the attack that you're under today is God's way of telling you, keep going in the direction you're going. And so he's getting surrounded by this army. And this is, oh, that was only the first verse. Here we go. All right. <laughs> and when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Again, we read this like it's like a comic book, but this really happened. Imagine you're this dude. It says there's a servant and there's Elisha. So Elisha's the boss. He's the number two guy. You wake up on a Tuesday morning, time for coffee. You go outside, put the kettle on the fire, and then you look up, and the entire Syrian army is surrounding you. And you know, maybe one of them say, you're going to die today. Like, when, like, you're like, ah, what is this? And they're like, we're coming to kill you guys. And it said, look at the punctuation. There's an exclamation point. He runs in and goes, Elijah, Elijah, master, what shall we do? Like hashtag freak out moment, right? And I wonder, like, it's such a human response. And we can kind of laugh at him, but don't we act like that sometimes? Like you ever felt surrounded in life? Maybe not by a Syrian army, but some of us have been surrounded, let's say, by financial crisis or debt. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm in debt here. I still got those student loans. I got the debt collector calling me here. I got the uncle calling me that wants money. And it just feels like every waking moment, you're just surrounded. And sometimes we just want to go, ah, right? Maybe on the inside. Maybe some of you aren't as loud as me, but you just, ugh, right? Some of us are surrounded by relational issues and friendship issues. Some of us, I mean, there's so many different ways in life. Some of us, maybe we got it all together. We, we're wearing the right clothes at church, but you go home and you lay your, bed, your head in the bed at night. And in that quiet, still moment, all you feel is anxiety or depression, and you just feel surrounded. And so many of us act like this servant. Ah, right, we just freak out. And I love that the servant runs to Elijah and he says, what do we do? What do I do? And that's what many of us come to church for. We're like, tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I need to get through this. I need my marriage to get better. I need my kids to stop being crazy. Just tell me what to do. First off, just read the Bible. God tells you, he texted it to you. Just read his text. 
But he runs to Elijah and he says, what do I do? What should we do? And Elijah said, do not. That's funny. Like, if I'm the servant, I'm going, no, 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 no. I don't need to know what not to do. I asked you, what should we do? Should we build a barricade? Should we run? Should we start tunneling? Should I just call it quits? Like, what, what do we do, right? And Elijah says, do not. That, that's a hidden principle right there. The, the word of God is so good. Often when you don't know what to do, start with what you know not to do. Like, oh, I want to freak out. But what do I know not to do? The, the Bible says, do not be anxious. The Bible says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Like, there's so many things that the Bible tells us in our existence as Christ followers, that's not who we are. So if you start with do not, like let's say your, your boyfriend or girlfriend's like pressuring you to have sex. And you're like, ah, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Well, remember what not to do. Well, I know that God loves me and he loves me so much, he wants me to have the absolute best relationship possible. And that is in true intimacy in the context of marriage. And so no matter what I've done in the past, I want to make good decisions moving forward. I know that's not who I am. So it's an easy answer, no. Right? Like, this just gets real practical when you live it out. And I love Elisha says, do not, and then what does he say? Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Again, we know the story, right? Chris Tomlin, angel armies, yay. He didn't know the story. He didn't know what was going to happen. So if you're this servant and you look out and there's an army surrounding you and you run into your master and you say, what do we do? And the master, Elijah, just calmly takes a sip of his coffee he says, don't be afraid. And you're like, why not? And he goes, because there's more of us than there are of them. If you're the servant, like you think your master has lost his mind. Like if I'm him, I'm going, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's do a quick count. I look out the window. One, two, 7,000. Okay, Elijah. One, two. You're wrong, right? Like. No, you may be a man of God, but you are terrible with math. I picked the wrong team. We're going to die. And I love Elisha because, again, you got to be practical with the word of God. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Somebody say, open my eyes. That's one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray. God, open my eyes to what you're doing. God, open my eyes to not see the person, but to see the sin within them. God, open my eyes to not see a city, but to see territory and ground that you want to take and strategically how you want to do it. God, open my eyes to your reality. And I love Elisha just calmly says, yo, God, open his eyes. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. That's fire. He said all around Elisha. That's insane. If I'm the servant, I mess myself right there. And then I get real cocky, right? Like if I'm that servant and I'm freaking out and then my eyes get open and horses and chariots of fire, what that is is warrior angels. That's insane. Like, first off, everybody, like you ever pray like, God, I want to see your angels. If I saw your angels, I would believe. Can I just say you don't want to see them? Angels are terrifying, they're not little babies with halos and wings. There's nowhere in scripture that says that's what an angel looks like. Every time an angel shows up in scripture, you know what the first thing they say is? Don't be afraid. Even in the Christmas story, an a Gabriel, the, the, the beautiful messenger, shows up to Mary. And the first thing he says is, don't freak out. Like, don't be afraid. Because apparently angels are very intimidating, powerful creatures. 
When God wanted to kill thousands of Egyptians in one night, thousands, he sent one angel called the angel of death. Isn't it cool that that guy's on our side? <laughs> we have the angel of death. Sounds like he's in a biker gang. Like, and so then Elijah's servant opens his eyes and the mountain is full of these warrior angels. I just imagine these angels are just sitting there looking at the Syrians like, oh God, let me, have, it's been so long since we had a good fight, right? Like, ah, right. And if I'm Elijah's servant, I'm getting cocky. I'm opening that door and I'm talking trash to the Syrians. I'm just like, bring it on, right? Like, let, that's why I'm not in scripture because I'm, I'm way too human. But there's something about when you recognize the spiritual reality around you, it actually affects your security and confidence within you. It's amazing how this, how this can shift the way you look at 2022, how you can look at trials, how you can look at attacks, when all of a sudden you realize when God opens your eyes and you see the truth of it. All right, I'll fly through the rest of this so we get out of here before three. And when the Syrians came down against him, I'm kidding, again, if it's your first time, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So the Syrian army starts their attack. And then he says this, close their eyes. You see the dichotomy there? God opened the eyes of my servant to the spiritual realm. God closed the eyes of my enemy. Spiritual sight is so powerful. So he says, God, close their eyes. Strike them with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according, according, in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria is the capital of Israel at this time. That's where the king of Samaria is. That's where the king of Israel is. That's where they've been trying to get the whole time. Military strategy would say, do not bring the entire enemy army into base camp right in front of your king. This is the dumbest thing you could do. But again, what seems like wisdom to the world is foolishness to God. And what seems like wisdom to God seems like foolishness to the world. Often I tell you, if it sounds crazy, it's probably God. <laughs> like it's not like, right, like planning a church. You're like, what? No. And then God moves and works and look at this place now. But, but he says, hey, follow me and I'll take you right to where you were trying to go all along. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, oh, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, shall I strike them down and check it? He says it a second time. Shall I strike them down? Now, there's this really popular Christian song over the last couple of years called Fight My Battles or Surrounded. And it's based out of this scripture. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. Like, that's a beautiful part, right? And then it says this over and over again. This is how we fight our battles, right? This is how we fight our battles. And when we sing that, what we think we're singing is, this is how we fight our battles, in prayer. And that's true. Prayer is powerful. But it's out of this passage, and check how God teaches Elisha and the king of Israel to fight the battle. The king of Israel sees his enemy, all these people that have been trying to kill him over and over again. And he looks at Elijah and says, he says it twice, like, can I kill him? Can I kill him? And that seems petty, right? That seems actually kind of practical. And we may judge him for that. But aren't we like the king of Israel? Like when somebody gossips about us at work, are we not tempted to kind of gossip right back? When someone posts that negative comment on our social media, aren't we quick to like, block them or comment about them or 
You know what I mean? Like, this is how I fight my battles. I slaughter my enemies before me. <laughs> this is how I fight my battles. I gossip right back at them. Like, that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, the way of the world is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Left to our own vices, you hit me, I hit you. Left to our own vices, you gossip about me, I gossip about you. I, I was with somebody a few months ago, and uh, it kind of started turning into a shouting match between the two of them. And one of them said, why are you raising your voice at me? And then the other one said, I'm just matching your energy. <laughs> and it sounded so, like, wise and like, ah. And I was like, I for not tooth for tooth. That's what you're doing. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Like, this is us. Like, as soon as we get the upper hand in a conversation, in an argument, we're like, aha, like, right? I'm going to abolish you with my logic. I'm going to destroy you and show you that I am the victor. I can win the battle. This is how I fight my battle. But the kingdom of God is one in which we fight another way. And I love how Elisha responds. The king of Israel says, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Shall we kill them? Shall we strike them down? And then Elisha answered in verse 22, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? In other words, you have the upper hand. Can I just say that to somebody today? If you know Jesus and you are in an argument or in a disagreement with someone else, you have the upper hand. You have the spirit that created the universe, you have a tap right into wisdom that founded before the earth was here. You have the upper hand. You have the armor of God. You have the sword of the word of God. Like you have the upper hand. Why would you hurt somebody that you're superior to? It changes the way you look at people. Again, they are not your enemy. It's the sin within them when all of a sudden you realize that no one on this beach and no one in this city can ever really hurt you because they are not your enemy. And all of a sudden you see them as opposed to an enemy as a captive in the same chains you used to be chained to. The chains of insecurity, the chains of anxiety, the chains of anger. And you, you don't hear their words at you. you. Your heart breaks that they're still suffering from that. I mean, this goes deeper and deeper, guys. Like, there's so many times in just practical life where you want to raise your voice back. You want to fight back. You want to go an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But the Bible actually says that vengeance is the Lord's. That's terrifying and amazing. So in other words, if anybody comes at you, you don't have to defend yourself. Because God says vengeance is mine. So when you defend yourself, you're actually stealing from God. I don't want to do that. But even more than that, it makes my heart break for that person. Because to quote C.S. Lewis, the worst possible place to be in the universe is on the opposing end of an all-powerful being's wrath. So if you believe God is who he says he is, you don't want anybody to face that wrath. So it actually breaks your heart for them. And then you get to do what Jesus commands us to do. Pray for your enemies. You start, your heart changes towards them. And you start lifting them up because they're no longer your enemy. They're just a captive just like you were. And so Elisha, coming from this place, says, no, 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 don't kill him. Would you strike down someone that's your captive? And then he says this, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. He took it a step further. He went the extra mile. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master back in Syria. 
and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. What do you call in military terms someone that doesn't attack you? That's an ally. In relational terms, an ally is a friend. Do you see how Elisha fought his battle? He was less concerned about winning the battle and more concerned about winning over his enemy. And the way he fought the battle was he set a table before the people that were trying to kill him and he lavished food and drink on them. He hosted them to a feast. And then he said, you can go. And it said they never attacked again. Like, can you imagine being those soldiers? Like, maybe you grew up in Syria, and they were like, Israel hates us. Israel is our enemy. We got to take them out. And then you actually get deployed, and you go to kill them, and they treat you to a dinner and send you on your way, and you're going back, and you're like, I think we have the wrong enemy. Those guys were really nice. I'm not fighting them again. You talk about grow a church up a room. Like, I, I love uh, this church, like just inviting, getting people to come. Like, that's amazing. But all of a sudden, that coworker, that relative, that teammate, that classmate, that friend that you have been coming up against over and over and over again, and you've been trying to fight your battles the wrong way and fight your battles the wrong way, what if that coworker that gossip about you at work and just makes work a living hell for you, what instead of like teaming up with other coworkers and gossiping about them, what if this week you said, no, 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 I'm going to fight God's way, and you did some research on their Instagram and you found out their favorite food? And then you bought it on your own dime and you showed up and gave it to them, not with like that eye roll look like I'm better than you. But like, hey, I just wanted to bless you today. I think I think you like this food or you invite them over to your home and you set a table before them and you just lavish grace and kindness and mercy on them, even though they've been attacking you. All of a sudden, you don't win a battle. You won over a person. You won over a friend. This was the way of Jesus. And let me tell you, it's harder to do this. It's easy to fight back the way the world fights. That's natural. That's why it's called supernatural. Because we can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it with the Holy Spirit. But the way to get people to come around is to lavish. That's why Jesus actually says, he says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We, God is so good to us and kind to us. This is what Jesus did for us. The Bible says we were yet enemies of God. And what does God do for us? He laid down his life for us. He scrubs our feet. He was the chief servant. He bled and died for us. And he said, do you see how much I love you now? You're not my enemy. The sin within you is. Let my love and kindness transform you. And then we say, okay, I'm going to pray a prayer, pray a prayer and get out of hell. And he said, no, 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 no. Follow me in my way of living. That's how you know if you're a Christ follower. That's how you know if you're saved. If you follow him in the way he lived. If you fight your battles this way. And I cannot wait to see what God does in each and every one of our lives in 2022. When we continue to learn and grow and fight our battles this way. With the weapon of worship. Some of you are like, how do I do this? Worship. When you don't have the words, when you don't have the strength to love on them, that's why we worship. And we remind ourselves of the ways of Jesus. And we remind ourselves how good our Father in heaven is and how good he's been to us. And because of how good he's been to us, we can be good to others. And so as I close out our time today, Caitlin, I'm going to invite you guys back on up. And we're going we're gonna to worship. 
And I truly am, Upper Room Church, believing that this is going to be the best year ever. I didn't say the easiest. <laughs> but how beautiful is it going to be when you have that relative or that person or that coworker that you just can't stand? And in two months' time and six months' time, you look down the pew and they're sitting right next to you. Not because we did some cool, crazy series, but because you fought the battle this way. You looked for ways to bless them even though they curse you. You look for ways to heal them even though they hurt you. You look for ways to cheer them on even though they gossip about you. It's always so tense when we talk like this. And I can see some of you, our posture even changes. We're like, <sighs> that's also why worship is physical. Because when, when the word of God is hard, this is what we feel. But God reminds us that when we surrender to him, he can fill us with his strength and power to live this out. And I'm telling you guys, just like the kingdom of Israel, I know it's hard, I know it seems crazy, but it gets better and better and better when we live this way. I'm praying for this kind of year where our friends keep coming to Jesus to come to church, but even our enemies fill up the pews at Upper Room Church. And God moves not so that we can have a big church, but so that we can fill up heaven with more people that needed a good father just like us. So Upper Room, can I invite us to stand to our feet and we're just gonna worship one more time in light of this kind of kingdom, in light of this kind of battle, in light of our kind of good father we have. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this church family. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us a better way. God, I pray over the marriages in this church today. Some that have been like fighting and going at each other toe to toe, that this would be a game changing day. And they would start to look at each other as a friend. They would start to look at each other as a companion. They would start to look at each other with the same grace, love and mercy that you show us. God, I pray over those people that are in difficult work situations or difficult family situations today. God, I'll just admit and confess that I cannot do this on my own and we cannot do this on our own. But God, thank you for showing us the way. Thank you that you are a way maker and thank you that you are a good father. And God, I pray that it will be a good year. 2022, in the name of Jesus, we pray that it would be a good year because you work in good ways in us and through us to the people around us. Father, thank you that when we were yet enemies of you, you were so good to us that you lavished your love and kindness and grace on us and showed us the light and invited us into your family. Father, it's in light of that that we pray and sing. Amen.